0: One, welcome, uh, if you're viewing by Facebook or if you're watching this later, welcome. I heard a message this week that my brother Casey actually had turned me on to a couple of weeks ago. And while I was at the gym this week, uh, I I was listening to it, Erwin McManus talking about elevating the room. And uh, here's what he said that really stuck out to me. Most of the conversations I have with people that think they are about their circumstances they're going through are actually about patterns of thinking that they've been trapped in. We get these patterns of thinking. And it's not necessarily a circumstance or situation we're going through, but that pattern of thinking that things are always going to be bad, things are always going to be like this, I'll never, it keeps us stuck. He went on to say this, most of the things that you think are holding you back that are out there aren't out there. They are the projections of your inner world and the battle is happening inside you. Most of the things you think are happening out there to you. I'll say that about this virus. I I take it serious. Believe me. But I think a lot of what we do that we think is going to happen to us out there, a lot of that battle is going on right here in our mind. He said this, we have the capacity through the power of our inner world to have it translate. This is so powerful to me. I want you to give it, we have the capacity through the power of our inner world, or what's going on up here, to have it translated so that it becomes the reality of our outer world. In other words, what we think inside here, we project and cause it to happen out there. That, that's what the writer of Proverbs 23, 7, 23, 7 said. He said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, I've thought this long enough to where now it's become a reality. Um, not, not only the, the, what you think affects who you are, it affects the world you live in. I believe that's why Paul wrote this in Romans 12 too. In the, today's message time, I forgot to put up my notes. I'm so sorry, and I had them ready. Uh, but it's made for this, made for this. I believe Paul knew that, that how we thought things through and how we translated them in our mind was important. That's why he said this in Romans 12 too. He said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul said, Don't think like the world thinks. Thinking. That's why I believe he says do not conform to the patterns. How I know mean, thinking is a pattern. It's a pattern. He says don't conform to that. He knew the battle that we fight would be fought right here in our brains or in our minds. God wants to transform or renew our minds so that why? We can think clearly. It's been hard to think clearly over the past few weeks. Come on. Hard to think clearly. In in case you haven't noticed, people, even in the church world, aren't thinking that clearly. Come on. Casey mentioned this week that I I had to show up at his door and kind of uh, we butted heads. But thank God, God, you could tell God had changed us both that that was it. And he talked about how it was just kind of a shakeup for him to say, hey, I'm not seeing things clearly. I've got to start seeing things clearly. Have you ever noticed, um, we we live a lot of times by feelings. And that's what we say. We're we're feeling a certain way. You know, I'm not feeling it. Can I tell you this? Your feelings, your emotions will lie to you. They'll lie to you. Uh, Well, well, PK, I'm just going to listen to my heart. Why would you do that? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So with, I'm just listening to my heart. Well, your heart will lie to you. Your heart will deceive you. Now more than ever, guys, we need our minds to be transformed so that we can think clearly. He- hear me. Hear me cl- I know that a lot of times the people that we think has the most faith, can we be honest and real? The people we look at and we think, oh, man, they're kind of weird. Can we we be real? They're kind of weird. And and we're like, man, they're really weird, so they must be really full of faith. And and here's what I believe, though. And I heard Irwin say this. uh, He said, what happens a lot of times is people are full of faith, but they're brain dead. Because... For some reason, they don't think faith and your mind go together, but but that's not what God said. God said it does. I just need your mind transformed to think clearly. You know, so we don't just throw brain and mind out the window and say, I'm full of faith. Yeah, but your brain did. And that's not the way God intended it for us to be. God does not want to detach our faith from our mind. He just wants to transform it so that the garbage in our life doesn't get dragged into our new life. Are you hearing me? And for many of us, our hearts have been lied to. We've lied to ourselves. Others have lied to us about who we are. And we think, I just, it's just not in me. I just don't have what it takes. God couldn't use me. You know. And, and so it's a pattern of thinking. Let, let me make something very clear, whether you're here uh, with our leadership uh, or whether you're at home watching or watching it later. Every person seeing this, hearing this, God wants to use you. No exceptions. God wants to use you. I believe this. God put you here in this moment of time. This, this uh, location geographically whether it's Ten Mile, Decatur, uh, Dayton, Evansville, Spring City, Sweetwater, Athens, Amaroken, what he put you there for a purpose. He put you there. You were born and live in this time when this crisis would hit for a purpose, and it's not so that we can tuck our tail and run. We were made for moments just like this. We're made for it. I, I believe that the enemy believes also that, what I, that you're, you were created with a purpose and that you were created for moments. And I believe he, he, he does his best to try to talk you out of that. I believe he does his best to install fear in us to where we stay enclosed. And some of you may be thinking, well, Kelly, it's easy for me to believe. I say, yeah, God would use you. God would use Bob. God would use, You should look at me and Bob and say, if God could use them, he could use anybody. Come on. But God can, I'm telling you, God can use anybody. But here's the thing. We've got really good at throwing God our excuses. Well, I just don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not as spiritual as others. I'm not gifted. I don't have the talents others have. I've got a lot of junk in my past. Or you just don't know my family's history, Kelly. Anybody be honest here or at home? And say that you've had doubts about God's ability to use you. I got both my hands up. Absolutely. Most of you know the, the doubts that Denise and I had when God began to speak to us about pastoring. You know, why would, why would God do this to those people? And then we got up here and we began to ask, why would God do this to us? No. Little humor, little humor. It's um, true. But if you do have your Bibles at home or here, uh, Judges 6 is where we're going to go. And we're going to look at a man that God wanted to use, but he said, you know what, I'm not made for this. Uh, And he began to give God excuses of why he could not be used. This guy's name is Gideon. Let me give you a little background. There's a war going on uh, when we meet Gideon. He's threshing wheat, but he's not threshing wheat where he normally would. He's in a wine press. And threshing wheat is the process of loosening the edible parts of grain from the inedible stuff around it. Threshing uh, would normally take place in an elevated, open, large, open air space where you could throw it up and it would, uh, the wind and stuff would disperse it. It would, it would uh, separate the stuff but, and, and, he, and the wind would blow up the chaff away. But here Gideon's not threshing in a high, large, open place. He is in a wine press which would have been underground. Now, you may say, there's been a lot of speculation about him hiding. If he was hiding, at least he was doing what he knew needed to be done in the process of it. And man, it's not even in my nose, but a lot, I've been guilty of this during this quarantine, during this stay-at-home stuff. Uh, I've used it as an excuse not to read my Bible as much, not to do Uh, But here Gideon at least is doing what? He knows this has got to be done. Regardless of anything else going on, this needs to be done. And so he's out there and he's threshing wheat and he wants to keep doing what he's doing. uh, But he knows, hey, man, people out there, this is going to make my job a lot harder, but I got to keep doing it. And that's where we jump into the story, Judges 6, verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And this next part, I don't know why, in my mind, I just hear a British accent. Pardon me, my Lord, getting replied. (laughs) But but if the Lord is with you, because he does say it again. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about? It sound familiar? If God is with us, why is all this crap going on? Come on. If God is with us, why is it that he's sending something just to supernaturally take this virus away? If God is with us, and then in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. Save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And here we go. Pardon me, my Lord. Uh, it replied, <laughs> it's going to be stuck in your head. You won't be able to read that again without it. Pardon me, my Lord. Getting Charlie, Charlie, never mind. Anyway, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am in the least. I am the least in my family. God comes to Gideon. He tells Gideon, hey, here's what I want you to do. And excuses start flying off the shelf faster than toilet paper and hand sanitizer have the past few weeks. He just starts nailing excuses. Uh, I mean, he says, Hey, listen, God, you've got the wrong Gideon. I think the Gideon you're looking for is two houses over because his family, they're huge. My family, we're, we're the weakest. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm the runt of the litter. And Gideon asked the question that a lot of us ask. God, why would you choose to use someone like me? With everything that else that's available to you, why would you choose to use me? If I'm honest, I've asked that same question. Because in my mind I know me better than anybody else. I, and I, I look at my my past failures, my present failures. I look at my past weakness, my present weakness, and I think, "Man, there's a lot more qualified, more spiritual, more people that got it more together than I do. God, why would you choose me? God, why would you use someone like me in order to answer that question though? We got to answer this question. What kind of people does God use?" Um look at verse 15. Uh, Again here, God's reply to, to, or Gideon's reply to God. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. In Manasseh, I am the least in my family. What Gideon is struggling here with is what a lot of us struggle with. What a lot of Christians, non-Christians struggle with. And if you want to know what kind of people God uses, here's what you need to understand. God uses the insecure. Pardon me, my Lord. I'm not sure you realize who you're calling to do this. Uh, Part of me, God. this is. There are a lot more qualified people uh, in the Bible. Can you tell me more than this? Gideon was the only one in the Bible that struggled with this. Come on. I mean, I mean Moses. God, I don't even speak. Good. I don't speak well. You get somebody else, send somebody else. And, and a lot of you, you watching, your train of thought is, hey, you know, Kelly, why would there's better, there's smarter, uh, more knowledgeable people than me? But here's what you need to understand: when God sees you, God sees you differently than you see yourself. And my wife all she can notice right now is a misspelling indifferently. So But God sees me differently than she sees me. But God sees you differently than you see yourself. We see ourselves one way. When God is looking at us at an inter- entirely different light, we ourselves, we see ourselves by the identity given to us by parents, by siblings, by a teacher, by, by coworkers that have told us this is who you are. God sees you differently. Do you remember what God was doing when the angel showed up? What was he doing? Hiding, Right? Hiding in a wine press. But do you remember how the angel addressed him? When the angel of the Lord showed up, he appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you. What? Mighty warrior. Let me ask you, when, when the angel showed up, was Gideon postured as a mighty warrior? Was he acting like a mighty warrior? No. But God sees you differently than you see yourself. And he shows up and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And here's the truth. We all have this inner voice feeding us excuses as to why we can't do or be who God has called us to be. Why we can't do what God has called us to do. And because we're looking at ourselves through our lens. when God is looking at us a differently, entirely different lens. And I love the way Ephesians says it. Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do, we can do, we can do all the things he planned for us long ago. He created us the way we are because we have a, we've got a specific skill set that is needed during this time. I love the way the, uh, the Passion paraphrases. It says, We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Long before you were even a thought in your mama or daddy's eyes, God said, I've got something specific for you to do in 2020. There's something going to happen, and I've got something. You are going to be made for this assignment, made for this. God sees us differently than we see ourselves. The second type of person God uses. God uses the most unlikely people. At home, here, anybody say amen. But God is, I mean, the Bible's full of examples. It's full of God using people that nobody else would want uh, it's got funny thing is yesterday, me and uh, Casey went and played some ball uh, with a couple other guys, and uh, me and Casey, the Goins brothers, were the last to be chosen on the, each team. But my team won. I just want to say that, both games. Uh, but we, we see people a certain way, but God doesn't see them. He used the most unlikely people. One of my favorite people in the Bible, David. David is the youngest of eight sons. He's out there doing the grunt work, shepherding, when God sends a prophet to his dad Jesse's house to anoint the next king. So Jesse thinks, oh, prophet's here to anoint my, one of my boys. Surely it's going to be my oldest. Look, look at this, 1 Samuel 16, 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, "He the man. Surely this is God's anointed." He looks at him, he's tall, he's good looking, he's got the build of a king, but God tells, and this is Samuel, the man of God that looks and says, this is the king. But then God has to straighten Samuel out. Look what he says to him in 17.7. Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When when my dad passed away and my mom passed away, or my, my, my dad passed away and then mom took it over and then she had a stroke, the last person anybody would have ever picked to pastor this church was me. When people heard that Kelly Goins was coming to pastor, they were like, ah, oh, no way. No way. You, you're talking about the same Kelly that, that I knew. But, but here's the thing. God saw me different than anybody else saw me, even myself. Because people look at the outward. People look at our history. But God looks at the inside and sees our future. And when, when it came to David, people saw a shepherd. God saw a warrior king. When David sinned, people saw him as a murderer, an adulterer. But God says, this is a man after my own heart. Why? Because God sees us differently. What about Rahab? When people saw her, they saw a prostitute. What did God see? God saw a woman who, who he knew he would turn her heart toward him, and she would one day marry a godly man named Simon who would give birth to the generation through whom the genealogy of our Savior Jesus would come from. God accuses the most unlikely people. While others saw a prostitute, God saw divine potential. God sees, I'm telling you, God sees more in you than you see in yourself. And I'll say it like this God has given you more than you even know. There's more in you right now than you even know is there. Do you remember one of the last things God says to Gideon after, after Gideon gives him excuse after excuse? God says, Gideon, I need you to take a master class and get ready for this calling. Gideon, I need you to go to the school of theology in Cleveland, Tennessee and prepare for this calling that i put upon your life. I need you to be prepared. I need you to go read this book. Is that any of those things? Look, look what God says. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Then God asked him a question. Am I not sending you? In other words, Gideon, if if I'm sending you, this should be no doubt in your mind. You have what it takes. If I'm sending you, if I'm telling you, you've got what it takes. You were made for this. You should be going. And God looks at Gideon and says, the strength that you need, and what does it say? Go in the strength what? You have. In other words, the strength you think you need, it's already inside you. The gifts, the abilities to do what I'm asking you to do, it's already there inside of you. Go in the strength you have. And some of you, that's all you can hear is a negative message from that inner voice. And it will say, you don't have what it takes. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not smart enough. But listen to me God has placed in you and given you more than you know. Denise and I are living proof that God has put more in us than we realized. Bob Kerber, living proof that God put more in him than he could realize. Vin and Amanda, living proof. Awesome, Brianna, living proof that God has put more. Paul and Candace, God, Lord, God put more in them than I could even realize. I'm telling you, God has given you more than no. It's already there. Look at Second Peter one three, what it says: by His divine power, God has given us what everything. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. It's already inside of you. Quit making excuses. There at home, look at your neighbor on the couch. Say, quit making excuses. Now look at your second favorite kid. Tell them the same thing. God uses the insecure, God uses the most unlikely, and the third type of person, God uses. God uses the broken. One of the best examples of this is Peter. Peter was the one guy, you know, there's always that one guy in the group that always acts before he thinks, always speaks before he thinks. Peter was that guy. Maybe that's why I can relate to him. I mean, he's the first one to say, yeah, I'm with you. Let's do it. Uh, but I'll say that he's the only one that ever got out of the boat and actually walked on water too. Um, but, but if you were to interview Peter and ask him, what was the lowest point of your life? I believe he could be able to answer that question without even thinking about it. He would say the night that Jesus was arrested. Jesus being led away by soldiers, and Peter is following, the Bible says, at a distance. And someone sees, we we know the story, we're closing in on Easter. Uh, Someone sees Peter and says, hey, I recognize you. You were Jesus. He's like, no, I wasn't. Another person, hey, yeah, 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 I I, I recognize you. You were Jesus. No, I wasn't. Third time. And the third time it happens, Luke's recording of what happened. It's so powerful. I want you to get this. See, he was Peter sitting outside. And they've got Jesus in there. And more than likely, Peter could see what was going on. And look at Luke's recording of this. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Look at this. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. No, I don't know him. No, I don't. Remember, right up before this, he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, even if everybody else leaves you, I will never leave you. I'll ne- I, I'm with you to the end. And Jesus says, No, Peter, you're me three times. The rooster crowed and it says, The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word the Lord spoke to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. He went outside and wept bitterly. Anybody think Peter was broken? Peter denies God's only son. Peter denies the one that saw something in him when nobody else saw anything in him. Peter denies the one that loved him when it was such an unconditional love that when Peter would mouth off and others had got tired of it and kind of done away with Jesus, come on, Peter. Come on, man. You, you had to wonder how could Peter, after this, and I know he had to be thinking, how could I ever be trusted by God again? That's what I've just done. Anybody ever dealt with maybe some similar feelings? Maybe you didn't deny Christ, but you thought you had it all together, but that sin reared its ugly head again. And you thought, how could God trust me again? That struggle, that addiction, you thought you were over, and now it seems you can't get free from it. Maybe it's your temper, you've lost it more than once in front of your kids, your friends, your co workers. Maybe your marriage ended up in pieces, and now you just feel broken. Maybe it's that sin that one minute you think you've got a whip, then the next moment it's pulling you right back in. You feel broken. Maybe you can relate to Peter a little, and you know what it's like after that to run and cry bitterly. Peter was broken. He felt disconnected. He felt like a total failure. Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus is crucified. He's laid in the grave. Three days later, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, they come to bring spices to anoint Jesus' body. All they find is an empty tomb. And as they enter the tomb, look what the angel says to them. Mark 16, 6, 7. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now look. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why would he say it like that? Because he knew Peter's broken. Peter's feeling disconnected. In fact, Peter disconnected himself from the other guys. He's feeling like a failure. Jesus forgives Peter, though. Do you know why Jesus forgave Peter? Because that's just what Jesus does. That's who he is. Jesus forgives him. Peter failed Jesus, denied Jesus, abandoned Jesus. God had every reason to just write Peter off, but he didn't. On the day of Pentecost, guess who God chose to use to preach the gospel? Guess who God chose to use to preach a gospel that would see thousands to come and believe in Jesus? Peter. Why? Because God uses the broken. Who better to preach about forgiveness than someone who's been forgiven? Who better to preach about deliverance from an addiction than someone who's been delivered? Who better to preach about how God uses the broken than someone that's been broken in their life? God used the insecure. He uses the most unlikely, and God uses the broken. If I can get Bob to come on up. Why would God use someone like you? Here's my question to you. Why wouldn't God use someone like you? When you look at who God uses, why wouldn't he use you? God uses people just like you, just like me. And God has said, quit throwing the excuses out. Quit throwing all that out. Everything you need, I've already placed inside of you. You were made for this. Here's a question I want to leave with you today. So what does God want to do through you? During this crisis, during this time, what does God want to do through you? You have to step out to find out. Casey referenced this earlier this week in his devotion. But in that same message, Irwin said this, everybody wants to be a giant killer when there's no giant to kill. Everybody wants to be full of faith when no faith is required. Comes a time, guys, when we have to step up to find out, step out to find out. Could it be that God's placed us here during this time, this time period, during this crisis, to do something besides nothing? I believe God wants to use you and I, and, and very often God will put us in situations. Where, 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 where he's hoping the leader that he's put inside us will be forced to come out. It's just like a diamond doesn't, you don't see until the pressure hits it. And I believe we're at a place of churches and us as watch bar and as individuals, we're at a place where the pressure's on. How we come out of this is on us. If we shine when we come out of this, it's because we said, you know what? I was made for this. I believe maybe you're put in this situation, the church, for us to have to use different gifts, have to use different abilities, have to use different approaches. Here's the truth, and I'm closing. If I can get the team to come on that. There are those of you watching. There are those of you that will see this, that in this crisis, in this time of our history, you will step up and say, I was made for this. God, what can I do? I was made for this. And then there are others that will use this as the perfect excuse to not do anything. You know the only difference in the two people how they view the situation and what they chose to do. It's not that one person had more gifts than the others. It's just during this pressure time, during this pressure cooker, they allowed the gifts that were already inside them to come out. Here, here's what I've really wrestled with some people, and I'm talking about Christians are living like during this time like existence is what they were created for just to exist if I can outlast the virus if I can get through this and they're li- that's why we're created come on we were made for this moment whether it's via online or whether it's finding a, an elderly person or a family that needs something and going putting food on their doorstep. We were made for this moment. I have done more counseling via telephone, text, and online than I have any other time in my life. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it was two nights ago. I get a text at 10 o'clock. Anybody that knows me, don't call me. Or t- it, you better be dead if you're calling me that late. And, man, I, I was like, okay, they've got an iPhone. If I don't open it, they won't know that. Come on, don't tell me you didn't play that game. They won't know what I'm to And I'm sitting there, and, God, and I'm laying in bed. Because 10 o'clock, yes, I'm in bed. And God's saying, because this is someone that didn't necessarily come to church here. They used to. And I'm playing all, Jody, you're a pastor. Don't even know if you've got a pa- I didn't say that. But pro- I probably thought it. God said, you're going to waste this opportunity? You're going to waste it, Waste this chance to pour into someone? So I called him. And a lot of times we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll text to say that. I thought, no, I'm, I'm just going to call him. I had the opportunity to pour into this guy. I talked to him, and he began to tell me what God is doing in his life. He's having to work out of town while i right now. The next day, his mom texted me, Thank you, Pastor, for taking the time to talk with my son and encouraging him. We were made for this. We can use it as an excuse to stay just huddled up in our home and binging on Netflix. Or we can say, God, show me a way that I can let my light shine even during this crisis. Show me a way I can be a neighbor to my neighbors. Come on. Show me a way that I can lead my kids. in dev- it's, God, I've never done it. Show me how to lead them in prayer and devotion. Show me how to grab my hands wide and say, hey, let's pray together. God, during this time, help me to take every advantage of every moment to become the man of God you're calling me to be, the woman of God that you're calling me to be. God, I want to be used of you. That's why we got to go back and say, God, don't let me conform to the patterns of this world. Let me be transformed. Let me be transformed. You're made for this. This is our moment to shine, church. As a church and as individuals, we were made for this. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to use an excuse to just do nothing? See, I I heard heard a guy, Chris Hodges, said this this week, and I realize I'm going longer, but he, he said this, he said, I don't like this social distancing term. He said, I know what they're saying. He said, I'm about physical distancing, yeah, because we need that. But socially, we need each other. We need each other. So I'm going to encourage you, maybe have physical distancing, but not socially you belong to this house, reach out to people. Hey, just checking in on you. Is there anything we can pray with you about? Hey, is there anything you need? We've got elderly in our church. We've, we check on Faye, even though she's got kids of her own. We check on her. Uh, just, hey, you need us to do anything? No, I'm all right. And we had to make her stay at home today. Because in her staff means she don't, oh, I'm going to be there. Guys, we were made for this. The world's broken. The world's looking for hope. Instead of getting online and putting out things that we don't even know to be true, that we just heard. Someone called Denise uh, when this first happened. Uh, Hey, did you hear that Monroe County? I think it was Monroe. Was it Monroe? Had, Had eight confirmed cases. Two days later, we saw on the news they had one confirmed case. And I'm like, why why aren't we that desperate to spread the truth about God as we are in lies about what everything else is going on? I encourage you. Encourage you. I want us to end today as we did last week with the song of worship. Let's do that, um, what song was it? Oh, you got a new one. Praise the Lord. But let's worship. Uh,